Step inside my cabin and hang your coat by the door. You smell of snowfall and hemlock boughs. I just fed the stove and the fire is whispering like radio static. Soon, that white lace on your boots will be pooling on the floorboards, making them shine like polished stone. Rest here as long as you like. It's no trouble that our meeting place is imaginary. Many worthwhile things are. Welcome to the Crypto Naturalist. absolutely thought the Brambleberry Scrambler was imaginary. I still think it's right on the edge of being imaginary. If I wasn't looking at a pink, heart-shaped snout print on my shirt as I speak, I would continue to suspect that its primary habitat is in the mind. The first and only mention of the Scrambler in crypto-naturalist lore comes from the whimsical work of Susan Huckleberry. If you've never heard of Susan, well, let me say that her books are a delightful read and not a great starting place for someone new to studying hidden nature. You see, Susan, more than most, found little worth in making distinctions between the subjective denizens of her own fancy and the objective inhabitants of the wider world. So, creatures both real and real to Susan stand side by side in her work, and if you're expecting her to note which is which, you will be disappointed. Moreover, her writing style was unorthodox, even among crypto-naturalists. By way of example... Let me read you a few of her words on the Brambleberry Scrambler. Uh, this is from page 53 of Susan's book, Love Letters to Precious Monsters. <clears throat> Quote, The Brambleberry Scrambler both rambles and scrambles. It dimples the earth with its natural sandals. It scouts all about, and with its snout stout it handles, snails and blackberries and salubrious scandals. End quote. It goes on like that for a few pages, but you get the idea. The image she paired with these words is a cartoonish pink creature that looks like a plump piglet with a fluffy cotton candy mane running down its back and the black spots of a Holstein Frisian cow. So, 
When I got a call from a sanitation worker pal of mine up in northern Michigan about an elusive pink critter she'd spotted in a tanglewood patch next to a middle school up near Grayling, the Brambleberry Scrambler was not immediately on my mind. It's funny. I keep talking about objective reality and the imagination as if they are wholly separate concepts that never overlap. You'd think I'd know that such strict dichotomies are rarely so simple. Speaking of places where the real and imagined meet, how about a little poetry? It's time for today's Hidden Lore segment. Today's Hidden Lore is a poem by Caitlin Allred. Calling Do not fear when wind lifts in you like raven's wings and you crave to explore the twisting tangle of trees. Feel the primal pulse leading you deeper into the woods, for part of you remembers nights dizzy drunk on starlight, recalls the rhythms of your earthy cradle. Something in you still longs for the bits of yourself you left behind. It still sings out in search of what will never return. No, indeed. We should not fear that primal pulse calling us into the wilderness. I often think of that call as good old-fashioned homesickness. A lovely poem that makes me think about the nostalgia our bodies feel for a wild way of life that our minds might not consciously remember. The body remembers. Caitlin is a writer and student currently working toward a bachelor's in English. Her work has been featured in the Merrimack Review, and you can find her on Instagram at Caitlin Allred Writes. A few hours ago, Cassandra dropped me off at a World War II-era middle school built of bricks the color of pumpkin pie. A dented bike rack stood out front like a lopsided smile. It was the kind of January day that transforms the concept of the color gray into a full-body sensation. Cold, but not freezing. Mist, but not rain. Disquiet air, but not a real breeze. The woods by the school was littered with candy wrappers and cigarette butts. A half-closed folding knife stuck in a rotting log glinted in the ashy light like a rusting question mark. A wet cardboard mildew smell kept watch over the flotsam and jetsam of small rebellion. There were certainly no brambleberries there on the cusp of January, but there were brambles aplenty. I tucked in my arms and bent down, took one of the middle schooler paths to the sort of secret inner citadel of interwoven brush universally admired by children. This was a particularly good one, and I tipped my hat to the kids who made it. The path was practically a tunnel. The dense briars and honeysuckle made an impenetrable wall, and, no doubt, Many adults who are no longer on speaking terms with their childhoods would miss the path entirely. After a surprisingly long trot, 
I came to a low, domed place awash with old pizza boxes and crumpled soda cans. There was an army green footlocker covered in creatively lewd art. It must have been a heroic task to carry it into that place. It was padlocked shut, which didn't matter much because something had chewed one of the ends of the wooden box clean off. Through that ragged, splintery opening, a rainbow of candy packages spilled onto the packed dirt. Many of the packages were tattered and empty, but some still bulged with their sugary contents. Ah, I said to the trash-strewn twelve-year-old's paradise, we have a food source. I tucked myself into a seated position, half concealed beneath a cascade of bare branches and prepared to wait. Dusk was fast approaching, and since my friend had sighted the pink creature at dawn, I thought it likely I was dealing with a crepuscular cryptid. There's a tongue twister for you. Well, it was a lucky guess, and I was right. Friends, I've seen some odd things. I mean... The orbital kingfisher is nothing to yawn at, but the brambleberry scrambler well and truly made me wonder if reality had blown a fuse. It's not that it was strange, it's how it was strange. It looked like a bit of animation had escaped from a television and into the real world. It's bright luminescent body was shocking in the waning gray light. Its oversized, expressive eyes locked onto the candy, and then it blurred forward to crash into the box with a snuffle and a snort. The fine fur of its pink mane floated above its shoulders like smoke. I just sat there with my jaw hanging open, sending a mental apology to the late great Susan Huckleberry for my doubts. As dusk deepened, the basketball-sized pig squeaked and chomped happily, munching on colorful candy, its tiny, tufted tail wagging back and forth like a metronome. I suspect the candy lured the creature out of winter dormancy, mimicking the sweetness of its typical diet of brambleberries. Though I have to wonder if berries will still satisfy it after tasting that level of concentrated sugar. It would be an interesting turn of events if brambleberry scramblers started pursuing candy in the wider world. Eventually, the scrambler extracted itself from the candy looking a bit plumper and very satisfied. At that point, it noticed me sitting ten feet off. It raised a single eyebrow in a disturbingly human expression, and then it pranced directly toward me. Hello there, I said. How are you this fine evening? I didn't expect it to speak. But words are a handy way to project your intentions when you're feeling a tad flustered. It didn't speak, which, at the time, was a bit of a relief. Instead, it cocked its head, then stepped forward and poked me square in the stomach with its heart-shaped snout, 
leaving a pink print on my white shirt. There was a little boop sound when it prodded me. With that, it hopped in the air, its short legs running in place. Then it landed, spun in a circle a few times, and vanished with a puff of rosy smoke that, I kid you not, smelled like bubblegum. <sighs> you know... I just experienced this, and already I feel like I'm making this up as I go. Could that be a survival mechanism? Could sheer unlikeliness act as a kind of narrative camouflage for the Brambleberry Scrambler? It feels possible. I'm going to head back out at dawn and see if I can gather more data. Wish me luck. In the meantime, looks like we have a new field report. Coordinates, too, huh? Let's take a listen. This is Professor Taylor Hoyt, broadcasting on crypto-naturalist frequency 11581. My colleagues, is there traffic between cryptid and crypto-naturalist? In our peculiar field, is the divide between subject and student a stark stone wall? Or is it something softer, more permeable? I have a growing certainty that I, myself, am a cryptid. Perhaps this is a new development, or perhaps it has always been so. I reach out to you, my community, for insight beyond my own perception. Allow me to elaborate. As far back as I can recall, I have been studying this lagoon in unblinking aquamarine eye gazing out from sun-warmed sands. If I start at dawn, I can walk around the lagoon three times a day, pausing twice to eat a meal of shallow hoppers and shore grass. Three circuits of the water following the endless jumbled braid of claw-toed prints in the sand. Twenty-eight palm trees, four noteworthy stones, one hunk of driftwood like a hooked and beckoning finger. If my memory is to be believed, these odd tracks, the focus of my study, have coaxed me forward and given structure to my days for the entirety of my life. I am embarrassed to admit that I only recently realized what I do not doubt you guessed immediately. The tracks in the sand are all mine. The clawed toes, the webbed feet, mine as well. As you can imagine, this realization led to many others. So many questions, a pressing, omnidirectional weight of ignorance. How is it that I recall no place beyond this lagoon, and yet I call myself Professor? 
I somehow doubt that any reputable institution of higher learning bestows that title on the befanged and roving inhabitants of isolated lagoons sight unseen. No, that title, like the name that goes with it, is inscribed here on this battered valise I carry. So, what am I to conclude? Was I this man? Did I become what I studied? Or am I a creature that found the crypto-naturalist's possessions and somehow contracted the profession as one might influenza? I have come to believe something a bit humbling. These questions are too big for me. I require assistance. Whether I was Professor Taylor Hoyt before or have become him more recently, I do not know. What I do know, what I feel as a matter of faith, is that I am a member of a thoughtful, curious, caring community. And to that community, to my community, I say this. Please, come and fetch me. It is time I get a new perspective, as well as a change of scenery. There is a switch on my transmitter that broadcasts my coordinates. I am activating it now. Having exhausted my data and my faculties, I am trusting to your goodwill and the myriad wisdom of a wider world. I admit, I tremble at the simple thought of venturing beyond my home, and yet, it may be the instincts of the creature I am, or the values of the man I was, or a felicitous mix of the two, but I am holding fast to one point of certainty, a certainty that change and growth are fearful things, and by the sun and moon marching toward them, is the most meritorious act a thinking being can choose. Professor Taylor Hoyt, signing off. Well, how about that? Let's see here. Looking at these coordinates, it will take some specialized travel to reach the professor. Valentina, if you're listening, let's coordinate on this one. I'm going to end this broadcast and open up some other lines of communication with folks. But rest assured, listeners, we will show Professor Taylor Hoyt that his faith in our community was well-placed. Until next time, we're all strange animals, so act like it. Special thanks to Matthew Zonsinger for playing Professor Taylor Hoyt. Matthew is a stage actor in the greater Boston area, a devotee of Peter Cushing, 
a board gamer and a collector of walking sticks. He's a regular cast member on the Penumbra podcast, and he was a guest performer on the debut season of Second Star to the Left. Reach out to him for voice acting opportunities via his Twitter handle, at Matthew of Boston. Exclusive stickers, pins, shirts, and access to bonus content and strange expertise on strange topics awaits you at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cryptonaturalist. You'll find information about submitting your poetry or prose for our hidden lore segments in the About section of our website at cryptonaturalist.com. The Cryptonaturalist is written and read by Jared K. Anderson. Thanks to Adam Hurt for the use of his song Garfield's Blackberry Blossom from his album Insight. For more information on Adam's music, performances, and teaching, visit adamhurt.com. After coordinating with my colleagues, we decided that Cassandra and I will go meet Professor Hoyt. Meanwhile, the heart-shaped snout print on my shirt has begun quietly oinking. After many decades in this line of work, it's nice to find that I can still be surprised.